Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan. Uh, I'm a writer. And today, my book, The Sweeney Sisters, is being published. Yay! <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we should just jump in here. We uh, we couldn't be together, Leanne, so, but we set up a special sound effect for you. So, Sergio, hit it. Publication day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. We, guys. we did a we did a lot of pre-production on that. Yes, there Sergio, was a sound do, check. Sergio, do that again, because it always makes me laugh. Hit it again. Can you do it again? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Happy publication date, Leon. <laughs> we couldn't be more proud of you, sister. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thing. I actually I really am sort of amazed. I mean, let's face it, it's not a great time to bring out a book, but I'm very proud of me too. So yes. <laughs> it's been quite a year. And so today I'm going to take my moment and have a little celebration. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so thank you. And thanks to everybody who's joining in on the celebration. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm Liz Dolan. I'm the middle sister. I'm uh, home here in Santa Monica. One thing that's funny about doing the show again from home is I, in the mornings, I keep thinking, well, this is good. I don't have to drive to West Hollywood. So I just do nothing. And then like 10 minutes before we start, I'm like, oh, wait, we, we're doing the live Instagrams and the live Facebooks. I do need to actually get dressed. So that, that keeps happening. <laughs> okay. Well, this is Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister. I'm in Dallas, Texas, in my closet, uh, and just really happy to be here today. Great, Jewel. Well, we, we have a show that's a lot about me, which I appreciate. As the youngest uh -huh. sister, I feel like <laughs> it's been a long time coming, really. Um, <laughs> but thanks to everybody who on uh, Facebook and Instagram asked questions. Uh, Liz and Julie have curated a bunch of questions about me and the Sweeney sisters, the book, my writing, anything else. It's an Ask Leon Anything. So we're happy to do that today. Um, of course, we have another season of Cooking with Liz. Yeah. And... Oh, I feel like, wait a minute. I feel like we need an air horn for that. Sergio, how about an air horn for me? <laughs> oh, really? Liz? <laughs> Okay. okay, Liz, okay, you're getting right. carried away. You're getting yeah. carried away, Liz. Okay, it, 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 all this, you know, it's going to your head. We're going to talk about it when we talk about cooking with Liz. Okay, okay. that's yeah. all I need to say. Yeah, okay. yeah wow. really? Air, air horn for broiling salmon? <laughs> I don't know. I gotta say, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, also, we have a lot of entertaining sister recommendations. Liz and Julie have watched some dark TV shows. They're here to tell you about it. Uh, and uh, Julie, you have an update on just some thoughts on education in general. So we're going to we're going to. Yeah, get I have a sinking feeling uh, that a number of people that are involved in education might have the same feeling. I'll, I'll tell you about it. Yep. OK, but, good. Good. Uh, but can we just uh, just start? I I'm having a little communication issue with my husband, and, and usually I don't go to problem solving with my sisters about this. But here's the thing. OK, we got the kind of open concept house and my husband keeps trying to join the conversation when I'm talking to myself. 
Do you do this? Do you do this? I'm in a, like in a full blown conversation with myself. It's going fine. And then he's jumping in and I keep having to say to him, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. Anyone else having this problem? I want to know. <laughs> Julie, that's funny. Well, I, you know, today I was going to, I'm going to do a little bit about the de-evolution of my husband and we don't talk about our, our husbands very much on the show, but I guess it's because it's been this intense, it's like marriage therapy, isn't it? The stay-at-home right. business. Right. But so, you know, my husband is the last guy in Los Angeles that wears a suit and tie to work every day, right? This is a big part of who he is as a business person. He's in real estate. He doesn't believe in casual Fridays. He doesn't believe in blue jean Tuesdays. <laughs> he believes in like suits and shirts and ties. He polishes his shoes every Sunday night. Like that's part of his process, but he's still going to his office. He's the only one in his office of 30 people. He's the only one there, but he's going every day and he's in a, an essential vector. Just so you know, it's not illegal. He's because he's uh -huh. in capital markets. He's, he is allowed to go to his office and he's the only one there. Uh, but like the first couple of days, he put on the suit and tie and went to, <laughs> went to work by himself. And, you know, and then he figured out, what am I doing? So like, <laughs> like, and then about five weeks ago, he showed up in the morning and he's just wearing like a shirt and blue jeans. I was like, whoa, what's what's happening? He's like, yeah, it's kind of stupid to be sitting there by myself in a suit and tie. And he goes, oh, you got a point. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, not to call it. No, I mean, but yeah, he doesn't need to get dressed up. Clearly. And then la last week there was a heat wave. So he comes down in the morning and he's wearing, he's wearing shorts and a, like a button down shirt. I was like, Whoa, shorts. <laughs> and then finally Friday, it was really hot. And he comes down, he's wearing shorts, like a madras short sleeve shirt and sandals. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, but here's the problem. And he's never going back. He's never going back to the suit. This is the problem, right? No, he feels the exact opposite. He, he said, does. I cannot wait to put a suit and tie on again. Uh, but I knew it was extreme. It was his birthday last week. And he was taking an extra long time with his shower and toilette up, upstairs. And he came down and he said, I cut my own hair. I <laughs> he cut his own hair, Leon? Yes. Julie, well, he yes. Didn't even, he didn't even ask you to cut it. He just yeah. went for it himself. Well, what a, I mean, how did he do the back uh, or the top? Well, we, he, we have, we've always had one of those shaver things because, you know, like the kids like to shave their heads occasionally and stuff. So he just did the sides and he managed to do the back, but he left the top long because he said, and I quote, I feel like I look like an English Premier League player with my hair like this. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Yes, Sergio Aguero, you do. Yes, you look great. <laughs> Honestly, it does not look bad. Okay. okay. Yeah, there are a lot of Corona cuts out there that are um, that are questionable. I know my daughter-in-law, uh, she gave everyone in her family a cut. She started with the youngest child because she had watched some YouTube videos. And she started with Peter. His haircut is not that good. But as she went along, they really got much better. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll see. But yeah, off he goes in his shorts okay. and his madras shirt. It's just a whole new world. It's a whole new world. I know. Okay. Well, I think 
I think it will be, I agree with him. I think, you know, I have my Corona clothes. These are the, I've been wearing the same thing. I will be very happy, you know, when we don't have to wear Corona clothes and we can wear other clothes because that will mean we can do other things. So I agree. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, sisters, you haven't found yourself um, immediately in the education business, but I know there are a lot of us out there that have found ourselves suddenly in the business of educating young children. And so I am watching, and maybe you are too, with great interest, what is happening in Denmark. Um, you, Liz and Lee, and you may know that they have, uh, the, the country of Denmark made a decision to send their youngest children back to school several weeks ago. Uh, and, you know, which seemed at first, you know, sort of counterintuitive. Why would you send the children? But that's, they felt like they had, you know, that they weren't seeing a lot of coronavirus cases in young children. So that's who they started with. Interestingly, my daughter-in-law, Vera, one of her very good friends and business colleagues is in Denmark, and she has two children, one age, uh, one in the fifth, what would be the fifth grade, and one in the eighth grade. And so for her family, the way it worked out is the fifth grader is going to school, uh, but the eighth grader is still doing e-learning at home. So the fifth grader, you know, goes to school. They are in classrooms where they are seated six feet apart. Um, And to accommodate the additional space that they're using, that they need to have children sitting six feet apart, they are utilizing all the community centers, all the gyms, all the other like public places to, to create these these areas where children ages kindergarten through like fifth grade can be in, they're in pods of 10 kids. You oh, only, interesting. You only interesting. interact with 10 kids. You, those are the kids that are in your class. Those are the only ones that you can play with outside. Okay. And you can't touch other kids when you play, like you can't play tag. You can play shadow tag, <laughs> but you can't actually touch uh-huh. each other. Okay. They yeah. have staggered arrival times uh, and routes and lunch breaks. The kids have to wash their hands every two hours in school. Um, and then the schools or whatever facilities they're using, um, they, are, they are sanitized twice a day. So doors, sinks, surfaces, toilets are all disinfected twice a day. Um, they've also, again, to get this space going, they've had to, they've set up tents on school campuses so that they, they are trying to teach as many classes as possible outside, more fresh air, not in a classroom, um, which is, you know, is amazing to see. But, and so it's no assemblies, no student assemblies, Mm -hmm. no sports, uh, no games, Um, and, uh, you know, they have the older kids, they thought they would start with the younger kids. And then the, the hope was that the, that the older kids, like the eighth graders and high schoolers would be able to, um, to start later, but they haven't been able to do that. It's been just the logistics of getting this all. Sounds like it. Yeah. Right. It's really amazing, um, that they, that they kind of had put together these pods of 10 kids and that's how you do it. So I think that's what, like, if you're homeschooling right now and uh, you're thinking about the fall or you're thinking of, you know, 
or even like August when a lot of schools in the South or in like Texas start, you're just wondering, are they going to have to go to a system like this Mm -hmm. to bring children back to school? Mm -hmm. And that's not going to work in a lot of school areas. I mean, when you think about big public school districts like Dallas, the independent school district in Dallas or, you know, that or New York, how are they going to do this? How are they going to create the social space um, uh, to allow kids to be able to come back and study in school? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just hope they have the best minds working on it. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think getting kids back in school should be a like top priority. And I, I just hope school districts can afford to have the best people thinking this through. Yeah, I know. I mean, what what they're doing in Denmark is very thoughtful. And it seems like, you know, it's really thoughtful for how they've put this all together. And I think um, like Vera's friend was like she felt comfortable. She thought it was good, a good plan to send her younger one to school. Um, She's disappointed that her eighth grader still has to do the e-learning and it's not, you know, there's no time frame for when they might, you know, they might be able to have older kids, um, you know, be taught in some distant, you know, in some, some new method, but it's, it's something we all should watch because, uh, you know, I think it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting trend going on in Denmark. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to take some version of that because you just do have to break people down into smaller pods and manage it much more actively. That is, that's really, really interesting. Wow. So, but you've just got the pot of one, Julie. Right? I have you just, the pot of one. You but just have Peter. About like the day when, you know, I mean, even today when I was teaching Peter, uh, one of the videos from the teacher was like, I just wish my, my class was open. I wish I was with all of you. You know, teachers right. be back in yeah. the classroom. Kids right. want to be back in the classroom. Sure. And you yeah. just, you have to find a path to... Yeah, uh, to get them back in the classroom. So right, because parents I, don't want to send their kids back into a school situation that's unsafe. You know, right, so right. that's you have to break it down to this level. That's, right. that's so lots of tents, maybe. Okay. You know? lots of resources, lots yep. and lots and lots of resources. Yes, absolutely, Leanne. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've noticed in my neighborhood on a lighter note that now next to all the trampolines are tents. Funny you mentioned tents. <laughs> I think it's getting to the point where either the kids are sleeping outside and the parents are inside or vice versa. The parents have just said, we're getting out of here and they're sleeping in their own front yards, but tents are sprouting everywhere. I think that's going to be a very good business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. uh, Coming up next, it's all about me. It's Ask Leanne Anything. Julie and Liz are going to curate the questions that you asked on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks so much for doing that. But first we want to thank our sponsor, Okay, well, now it's time for a party. Welcome to our publication day party for uh, Leon's book, The Sweeney Sisters. Sergio, let's hit it one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Leon, Liz is getting her money's worth out of that sound effect. (laughs) If at any time you don't know the answers to the following questions, (laughs) just go to Sergio. He'll go with the air horn. We rehearsed it. Okay, now this is all about Leanne and her other set of sisters, the Sweeney sisters. So this was your chance to ask Leanne anything. So yesterday, Julie and I went through all of the responses to the video that we had posted in the Facebook group, and we organized them. So we've got, you know, as many questions as we could fit in here. But first, we want to know, Leanne, 
like, okay, this is the question from Julie and I. What made you want to write a book about sisters and, and sisterhood? You seem to well, find it you know, interesting. I've been a professional sister for 20 years, right? That's part of our uh, part of our resume now. But I've never really written a book about sisterhood. Um, a, a couple of my other novels, like Elizabeth, the First Wife, uh, she has sisters and there's a sister relationship in that book, but it's not a book about sisterhood. But I felt like the time was right. I feel like I have learned a few things about sisterhood. I know people are interested in the topic from the 20 years of email and Facebook posts that we've gotten, you know, when people come up to us at events, they tell us about their sisters, right? They don't have sisters. And now they say they know what it's like. So I think there's a fascination with sisterhood, uh, just in general. And one of the great things about doing a podcast, it acts a little bit like a focus group for, for fiction writing. So I know there's an interest, uh, because people have been listening to our show for 20 years, but I also think there's a lot of misconceptions about sisters, um, that you have to be best, 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 best friends, or that you're, you know, mortal enemies and that there's really no territory in between or that you do everything in lockstep or that, you know, you're either fighting all the time or lovey-dovey all the time. And I would say none of those descriptors fit us, you know, Uh that Uh we're, we're friends and we work together and we like each other and we support each other, but we also have our own friends and (laughs) we don't, you know, we're not really kissy. We didn't, yeah, we didn't do a lot of that growing up, you know, uh, there are times when, you know, things are great and other times when you just need a break from your sister. And so I wanted to kind of represent that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there like was, one. yeah. One quick follow up here. Susan wanted to know if there was a particular current event that triggered your wanting to write about this specific subject matter. Um, no, I, I would say no. I mean, the hmm. book has a storyline. It's it's about three sisters, the Sweeney sisters, who are the daughters of a, a you know, famous writer and a poet mother. And thanks to um, some unforeseen circumstances and a DNA test, an over-the-counter DNA test, the the their family changes. Uh, and that's that's what I'll say about that. Uh, so the, not a specific current event, but um, you know, I pitched the book two years ago, so it's been two years in the making. And I'm really I've been very fascinated by all those stories about um, you know, people discovering their new roots, the surprise uh, results of DNA tests, about I've read all those the cover stories. The New York Times has covered a lot of, you know, uh, sperm donor children, brothers and sisters creating their own families now that they're in their 20s and 30s. Like those kind of stories have really interested me about how people's family makeup can change when they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Like that's pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. yeah so yeah. not a specific event, but definitely that's been on my mind and in the news. And so um, that was an inspiration. Okay, well, Lynn, Karen wants to know the origin of the name Sweeney. But here's the thing. I want to give Karen credit that she knew from listening to Satellite Sisters that she recalled that the last the last name of your characters had something to do with a writing and pitching a, a TV show. 
So what's what's with the name Sweeney Sisters? Sure. Um, it, it did have something to do with the writing and pitching of a TV show. But even back before that, our original webmaster at ABC Radio was Sarah Sweeney. And right. um, so and that's just a great name, is it not? Sarah Sweeney. Mm-hmm. That's a great name. Uh, the alliteration, everything about it is a great name. So at one point um, after the radio show ended, while we were sort of starting up the podcast and figuring things out online. And I happen to be having a lot of contact with Sarah. She was my, she was my work buddy. Um, I was asked by ABC TV to develop satellite sisters into a sitcom. Right. Um, so, which of course was ironic because the, the network like Disney had just, you know, stopped producing canceled the radio us. show. Yes. Canceled <laughs> us. So, and to do so, they sold off the entire radio division and, <laughs> So then the TV network's like, we love Satellite Sisters. Oh, that's a great idea. But then they said in typical Hollywood fashion, they said, um, so we want you to do a show about Satellite Sisters, but uh, not about sisters and not about a radio show. Can you do that? I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, it was just a classic meeting. So what I did was kind of go home and create a show about adult siblings that all lived in and around New York city in the New York, Connecticut area. And so there were brothers and sisters and I needed to give them a family name. So I asked Sarah Sweeney, if I could just call the show Sweeney family rules. And that was the, so that was the name of the TV show I pitched Sweeney family rules. So then when I went to pitch this book, it happened pretty quickly. And so like, like I needed to cook up something in an hour and uh, (laughs) literally the initial idea. So I went back to some, like my TV folder. And, uh, one of the, one of the gigs in the TV, one of the hooks in the TV show was that, um, they were all redheads. Mm -hmm. So when I had gone into the network to pitch the show, I had created all these little table tents of, um, redheaded actresses, Uh like Emma Stone and Jessica Chastain. And so as I described each characters, I'd set up these little homemade table tents. (laughs) And so those all fell out of the folder. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's a start. Three redheaded <laughs> named Sweeney. Like that, that was it. So that's, that's where this word Sweeney came from. I wow. Had- the little table tents. It's just, it's just um, unbelievable that that pilot did not go. Cause that, it's, I would have, that would have sold me. Yeah. It was, it was a really cute idea. And then a couple years ago, there was a, a TV show like remarkably similar that sold about an Irish Catholic family in Boston. And it really yeah. made me mad and I never watched it. So there. <laughs> okay. That's okay, the spirit. Speaking, <laughs> speaking, speaking of the redheaded sisters, let's talk about the physical book itself. Um, because Layla asked about your cover design. She said, Leon, the book cover is so gorgeous for Sweeney sisters. And I noticed that your other novels have new cover art as well. How is that chosen? Do you have input into the new designs? And I love the cheery colors of the Sweeney sisters cover and predict that as well for shoes, rugs, pants, blah, blah, blah. She would like a line of purses, handbags, backpacks, et cetera. But let's ju- talk about like how a book cover gets designed. Um, you know, the, the big, the big story here is like very rarely do authors uh, get cover approval. That is not generally given to authors. They want you to like your book cover, but when push comes to shove, the publisher is going to 
pick the cover they want and they think will best serve the story. So my book was completed. The editor, my editor, William Morrow, was in charge of the book cover. Like she's the one that drives it and finds the artists and it's usually people they've worked with before. And they presented like initially three covers, none of which were the current cover. And we picked one that I liked. It was sailboats. It was blue. It was preppy. I liked it. Uh, It was all set to go. We had like the sailing Sweeney sisters. And um, (laughs) and unbeknownst to me, uh, the editor just didn't love it. She didn't love it enough. She thought the book needed something else, as did the sales team. So I was actually on vacation, like the one vacation I went on last year. uh, Well, really, in the last couple of years, uh, I was at the spa, Rancho La Puerta in Mexico, and I a place where there is no wireless. There's no Wi-Fi. I was doing like a detox, a digital detox. So I wasn't even looking at my email. I didn't take my phone out. I thought, oh, Wednesday, I've been here a couple of days. I should look at my phone. And there were all these frantic texts from my agent and the editor. They wanted me to look at the new cover of the book. And it popped up this beautiful, gorgeous cover with the the heads, the sisters and the flowers and then the, the Navy and the, the great color treatment and the type. I literally got tears in my eyes. I was like, oh, my gosh, that is unbelievable. So mm-hmm. I could not be could not be happier with the cover. Just really could not be happier with the cover. It's gorgeous. And which is why then I bought like dresses for my great book tour. <laughs> I have all these clothes that match the yeah. cover and yeah. I'm wearing yes. one now in my closet. I'm wearing a, a matching <laughs> shirt right now. So that's good. So we can expect purses, handbags and backpacks in the future. I hope. Well, well let's hope. All right. Let's hope. And right. then I Ian. just, oh, can I finish one second? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to Prospect Park Books, which published my first two books, Helena Pasadena and Elizabeth, the first wife, because they saw these gorgeous covers and they read the Sweeney sisters and they said, let's redesign your previous books to to match these new this new cover. So even though it's two different publishers, um, I I just want to thank Prospect Park and Colleen Dunn Bates for doing a fantastic job uh, kind of refreshing the covers of Helena Pasadena and Elizabeth, the first wife. Good. Yeah, good. And, I was and, so surprised when those started popping up online. They're beautiful too. Okay, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, gorgeous. And I expect your house will probably repaint, redo <laughs> all the furniture. You know, I can see it happening, Leon. It's all there. All right, now, Leon. Here's a question from uh, Jenny, Melissa, Anne Marie, and Carol. That that there. A lot of people wanted to know that before. How do you figure out the story or how much of the story have you figured out in your head before you start writing? I mean, Carol said, I'm curious to know how you germinate the idea for the novel and how much do you develop in the outline before you fully commit to the writing process? So um, I'm a real outliner and I always have been. So I absolutely outline the, the novels. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm always looking around for story ideas and Part of that's really training from Satellite Sisters. I mean, we've been doing this for 20 years where we're always looking for topics to talk about on the show and always looking around for ideas. And, you know, I've been writing magazine columns uh, for 15 years and and other writing. So I'm always looking around for stuff. I do a lot of reading and and I'm a big believer in you never know where the next idea is going to come from. One of the key ideas for my first novel, Helen of Pasadena, came from a newsletter, came from the Huntington Library newsletter about a, you know, about a woman who had, uh, you know, been a docent there and met one of the 
curators, and then they were married for 50 years. And I thought, well, that's a good story. And that, that kind of became uh, the genesis of Helen of Pasadena. And, you know, for the Sweeney sisters, I saw a Facebook post about, oh, meet my new brother. And I thought, well, that's an interesting idea. So mm -hmm. I'm always looking for ideas. Um, and I have three, four ideas working in my head at all times. Uh, uh, about stuff and I write stuff down and I stick it in a folder and I'll cut out things in magazines and things like that and just put it in a folder so that when I really have to go organize it, it's there. And then, then I sit down and, you know, with this one, it started as a two page synopsis, then a, then a five page synopsis, then a 20 page, uh, document that I turned into the publisher, uh, which is basically writing a whole book. Like if you have to write 20 pages, you have to write a whole book because you have to write all the characters and the, you know, you have to write scenes and dialogue and it's like writing a whole book. And then I took that and, and then I spent about 10 days actually outlining it with cards and I stick them up on a board and I have, um, you know, cards that I write this scene, here's the action, here's the conflict, here's the resolution, here's the dialogue. So I'm, I would say I'm about 80% outlined. And then the rest of the 20% is just, you know, that's the happy accidents that happen when you get into the book, when you actually get writing it. And in this particular book, there's a character, Tim, I'm not going to tell you too much about him, but he grew to be a fave. Uh, but he was just <laughs> like one line in one of the opening chapters. And then, then throughout the book, I, I needed Tim. I, I realized I needed, I needed Tim to keep showing up. <laughs> he wasn't in the original outline. So Tim keeps showing up. So, uh, you know, that happens or definitely with plot points, you, you think you have enough plot, uh, you know, and then you're like, Oh, I need a little more action here. Oh, this, they need a few more complications, but I would say 80% is outlined for me. So, uh, that, but it still takes a long time to write, you know, yeah. stuff is okay. outlined. You still have to write every page, every word I always say. So, you know, that the, you can have the outline. It will still take you, it still takes me seven, eight months. Okay. Well, here's a follow-up question of Luann wants to know how much rewriting is involved. I mean, you outline a lot before you, but then how much do you have to rewrite before you submit it to the publisher? And then how much after? A lot. You know, the, there's a saying in writing, it's just, you just want to write, the first draft is just one crappy draft. Like, if you can write one crappy first draft, you're just well on your way. Uh, that's the hard part. Rewriting, for me, is the easy part. Uh, I enjoy the rewriting process, but getting through that first crappy draft, that, oh, you got to grit that out. And um, with this book, I did a bunch of rewriting. I was on a tight deadline. A friend of mine, Erica, who's an editor and a writing teacher, read through it for me. We made some, she suggested, and I, uh, I, I acquiesced some pretty big structural changes to the book. The first four or five chapters were completely reworked. You know, uh, chapter six became chapter one, chapter four became chapter two, that kind of stuff. Like that Really? Happened. Wow. Yeah. So I was moving entire chapters around and big blocks of stuff. Um, that's why having, you know, a really good reader <laughs> helps. Uh, and she was absolutely right. And so then I turn it in to my editor, uh, Rachel at William Morrow. And then I get a whole nother set of editorial notes from her. And some of the stuff I knew was probably coming like, oh, yeah, I 
I would have done that if I had six more months. Sure. Uh, but other stuff I didn't expect. She had great notes. Um, and so then it's another two or three months of reworking that material. Cause it's once, once you start. Sounds writing, exhausting. Liam. Yeah. <laughs> You I know never, it is. ever want to be a writer. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not, I don't think it's your skill. First of all, Julie, you never sit down. So you don't sit down enough to be a writer. <laughs> literally never sit down. So um, what happens is you change one thing in one scene and you had to then go through all 360 pages and make sure that, oh, okay, that's right. Like if, you know, if you change the color of the car from red to blue, it has yeah. to really factor in or you, you know, this character needs to be more of this. Well, that's every scene has to be more of this, you know. So so that rewriting process, you have to go very carefully and very slowly or else you can make a real mess out of it. Mm -hmm. So every writer has a different process. I like to do passes for certain things. Um, like I'll do uh, a dialogue pass where I'll just look at dialogue. Or I'll do a history pass. Like if I have history and stuff where I just want to make sure I have all my dates lined up and everything's fine. Um, sometimes when I'm writing drafts, if I, if I need some research, I'll just, instead of stopping and doing the research and losing momentum, I'll just write XXXXX in the manuscript. And then I can search all those Xs and then I know what I need to fill in there. So you know, I'll do a, a romance pass, a, you know, that kind of thing. I just, I do passes for specific reasons. So it's a lot. Oh, that's oh, interesting. Oh. Yeah, I know in this one, you said there was kind of a legal pass at one point because you were right. yes. a lot of stuff in there about how wills work and things yes. like that, right? Yes. And thankfully, our sister-in-law and our niece are lawyers. So, and they practiced in, my sister-in-law practiced in Connecticut for a long time where the book is sat. And so, and then, and then my niece actually had like somebody in her wills department at her law office actually read the wills section. So I got that right. Yeah. Good work. We, we don't want you giving out legal, uh, legal advice. That isn't accurate. <laughs> no, no, but I don't want okay. it to be totally wrong either. You know, yeah. Yeah. people are lawyers and it, I know it would bug them if they read it. And yeah. So they yeah. get hung up on that. Yeah. Okay. Now there are a bunch of questions about you and Julie and I are super interested to hear these answers because we have no idea what they are. We've never asked you any of these questions. So <laughs> Julie, I, I know we were laughing. It's like, <laughs> we, you know, here we are we're just working together for 20 years. We, we have never asked this question, never even interested in the answer, but Martha wants to know, did you always want to be a writer? <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. You just did not care. Um, no. yeah. Uh, um, you know, yeah, Martha, probably. I mean, it was, it's a pretty, we grew up in Connecticut. We were surrounded by a lot of writers, but first of all, they were all men, except Erica Zhang. Thank you, Erica yes. Zhang, uh, for showing us the way. Um, but, uh, there, you know, uh, we lived in a town where Robert Ludlum lived nearby and there were a lot of New York Times writers that lived in the area. Um, but it seemed like a pretty exotic career, like certainly no one in our family was the writer um but i thought i was pretty good at it and uh i remember in sixth grade i had a great sixth grade teacher ms olson and uh we had a lit she had a literary magazine and which i just dominated martha i'll be honest i dominated <laughs> i yeah kathleen quinn also asked a question about when so that did leon figure out that she wanted to be a writer book yeah uh, so that so i was good grade. at writing 
Yeah. I mean, I think in sixth grade, I realized I was pretty good at it. And from then I did a lot of like yearbook and newspaper and took a lot of English classes, but like writing fiction seemed, that seemed extraordinary and very brave. And I, that, that was not really part of uh, my plan. I did at one point ask my dad, I thought I might want to be a screenwriter. I went to like a college night and the new school in New York was there because it was a new school at that time. And um, so I talked to a screenwriter and I thought, I'd like to do this. And my father said, that's ridiculous. No one makes a career writing movies. And um, that's excellent career advice. (laughs) That's the sort of supportive artistic environment we okay <laughs> it's good that you don't have any resentment about that leon that, that is so positive <laughs> i just okay, so, but... <laughs> so so then after that um though i just always ended up doing the writing so that that that's what i would say so and i thought oh i'll write a novel someday maybe but it, we were very busy with the radio show for like 10 years and so it wasn't until we actually lost our job on the radio i found that unemployment really freed up my time and uh so i i took an online writing class cuz i had taken screenwriting classes by then i'd done magazine pieces we had a satellite sisters book i was writing a, a lot of stuff thousands of words a week but not fiction so i took an online writing class uh when when abc canceled us and that was that's how i started writing novels uh, interesting okay so uh christine wanted to know who were or are your greatest writing influences, favorite books or authors growing up? And when I think back to our household, we might not have been a household of writers, but like our dad was a huge reader. We had a lot yeah. of readers in the family. So what did you read that influenced you? Because we have no idea. Even though <laughs> well. other, than, other than Winnie the Pooh, which right. we know because of the Pooh themed birthday parties. We have no idea what else you and read. And Little House on the Prairie, I guess that right. was. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I read Little House on the Prairie. I mean, probably the first kind of mind blower was Judy Bloom. Uh, she was really writing for my generation. Guess where I like to remind you that I'm y- a lot younger than you. So, Julian, every Liz, day you remind yeah. us. Okay, Liam. But I have to say, like, my dad would, he was a huge reader. We had a great bookstore in Westport called uh, Klein's. And uh, one of the things we did, because he wasn't really a sporty guy or, you know, <laughs> I mean, one of the things we did was go to the bookstore together. And he would just let me go to the section and buy whatever I wanted. He never asked. He never looked at it. He didn't censor it. I just get a pile of books and buy it. So I think probably Judy Bloom was the first writer. I went, whoa, wow, this is just contemporary. And it's not about girls that lived 100 years ago. I like this. Um, growing up, I loved Fran Lebowitz. Like you guys left a oh, lot yeah. of in- inappropriate books uh, at home. You know, that was the <laughs> other thing because I was the youngest. I read a lot of stuff. I probably didn't understand initially, but um, Fran Lieberitz, the humor writer, was someone that was always very funny to me. Same with Nora Ephron. Uh, I would read the New York Times every day, and so I loved the sports pages. So there were great columnists in the sports pages. And um, and then, of course, there was Anna Quinlan, who I think, like, by the time I really got onto her Life in the 30s column and then her writing novels, like, that's when I realized, oh, you can flip around. You can you can jump from genre to genre, and that's okay. So I think probably Nora Ephron and Anna Quinlan were the two writers I looked at, like, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. Same with Nick Hornby. Um, 
he you know he writes fiction he writes screenplays he writes nonfiction. uh I, so those were definitely people i was drawn to i liked funny i i liked yeah. funny. so that, and we've had all three of them on satellite sisters yeah so we've had right. nora Ephron. yeah yeah, yeah anna right. quinlan yeah. And yeah. and Nick Hornby. Yeah. It's a, Satellite Sisters was a great opportunity to reach out and talk to a lot of these people that we were just personally interested in. Yeah, we had amazing authors on the show. So, yeah, and that was super helpful and, and really inspirational. Well, then Lisa wanted to know, do you read other books when you were writing? Sometimes, Lisa, not always. It depends on how complicated, like how stuck I am in my writing. So sometimes it's just too much to like deal with other stories. And other times I find it super helpful um, uh, to just read, particularly in my genre, um, because then you see how other authors solve plot problems and things like that, handle jumps in time, going back and forth. Like there's a lot to be learned uh, by reading other writers' books. And so, you know, this, for instance, this book is a in the deep third person. That's a new point of view for me to write from. So I did read a lot of deep thir third person books before I jumped into this. Uh, that's helpful. But on the other hand, like one book that came out while I was working on this was Danny Shapiro's book about her own DNA test and mm -hmm. her own journey to discover her true background. And, and that book was sort of announced like a big surprise announced and then came out the next day. And I was like, Oh, I'm not reading that. Cause that actually may, I don't know what the story is, but I hope it's not close to my story. And I don't want people to say it influenced me. Uh, so sometimes that happens, you know, uh, it, it turned out to be totally different than my story and, and hers was nonfiction, but you, I, you just don't want to get into that territory where you may be absorbing too much from someone's story. The same thing happened when I was reading, uh, writing Elizabeth, the first wife, which is a Shakespeare theme, you know, three sisters, father is a professor. And that's when the weird sisters came out by Eleanor Brown, which also had like college professor Shakespeare, three daughters. I was like, uh Oh, someone, <laughs> someone just wrote my book, but, um, it turned again, turned out to be not similar, but I didn't read it till well after publication. Uh, well, I know we're getting, uh, we're, we've, this is so good, Leanne, but people, people wanted to know about your health, particularly Patty and Chris, both, both wrote, well, we're thinking of you. They know you've had a big year. Every, I want to know how you're feeling. Oh, that, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I feel really good. Uh, I feel really good, which is uh, very, very grateful. And now I don't want to cry, but, um, I feel good. Good. That's, That's great. a good answer. That's, That's great. They were okay, really so, yeah. So today is a huge celebration. And uh, Dave wants to know, how do you celebrate? Like he writes the podcast, the book, the video, the word celebrate comes up so often. I would like to know what is Leon's favorite way to celebrate an occasion, big or small, with a big group of friends, with a small family group, with champagne, with a gin and tonic. Tell us how you celebrate. Oh, yes, Dave. Yes to all of those things. Uh, that's a great question. You know, I do like to celebrate things. Uh, I, I like to have a group of people over if it's someone's birthday or a family birthday or, you know, an event, a, a, a graduation. I I believe in celebrating life moments. I do like champagne. Um, I know there's a bottle of Prosecco in the fridge. 
tonight, Dave, that we're going to have uh, when I'm done with my my Romans event at 7 p.m. But um, yeah, I believe in in celebrating. So I would say my preferred method is probably with a smaller group of people. I think um, that's a holdover from growing up in a big family. <laughs> <laughs> Again, no resentment there. Good work, sister. <laughs> Giant long tables just give me, I, I have a hard time with that, but a small sort of informal group with some good food and people I like and a, and a, a toast or two, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. So uh, that's, it's going to be a very small group tonight, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> okay. I, it was a good question because I did think a lot about it in this time. Like, is it? is inappropriate but it's it's an accomplishment and it's been a long year and it's it's a day and i'm i'm okay celebrating it today okay oh and so are we so okay so this is our final question for now uh you talked about the red-headed sisters so we just want to know i'm sure you fantasized about it who do you imagine starring in the movie leanne like who's oh who's playing the sweeney sisters. sisters movie Okay, well, um, I'm really bad at this normally. Like most of the time, I don't think about this when I write, and I can't even think about it after. Because to me, they're the characters in the books are actually just. They, I don't. I don't envision Hollywood people in them as I write them. I have my own, uh, my own vi- way of visioning them. So, but this one, my dream casting would be, and it's a touch of stunt casting, but my dream casting would actually be to have the Mara sisters. Uh-huh. Uh, wow. Uh, Rooney Mara and Kate Mara. And wow. I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but I there are parts for both of them. Uh-huh. One, one the redhead, one not. So I think that would be ideal. Uh-huh. And then, you know, fill in, uh, I, I would like Bryce Dallas Howard. There is a part for you in the book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just put There's, yourself there into the universe. Yeah. I am. There's a part. There's a part for you. And depending upon what part Kate Mira wants to play, there's another there's another redheaded actress role open. But I'm going to let Kate choose which sister she wants to be. Uh, And then um, I was thinking about, you know, the father is a is a character that looms large, uh, the literary lion. Um, And you know what? I don't see any reason why Brad Pitt couldn't play him. I mean, I see no reason. reason. Why not? Why not, Liam? Right. Why, why, why limit myself? So uh, Brad Pitt is who I want. And then uh, there is another male character. In the, there are many male characters in the book. But one, I think, is a touch of stunt casting. Uh, I, I believe there's a role for musician John Mayer. And um, oh yes, oh yes, Leanne. I yes, can see that. Mm-hmm. right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, remember the book is set in our hometown of the Southport, Fairfield, Connecticut, and John Mayer grew up in Fairfield. And yeah. theoretically, yeah. as I do the math, he would have been at the same public high school as the Sweeney sisters. Aha! Uh-huh. Oh okay. wow! Oh, I got chills when you said that. Lisa. Right? So, because <laughs> uh, we just do not see enough of John Mayer out no, there in the no. culture. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I feel like there's a role for him. Call okay. me. Um, yeah. So <laughs> okay. Well, that was a lot of questions. Thanks for uh, thanks for your answers. But you've got you've got so much stuff even just going on today. So what else is happening in your life on Pub Date that people need to yes. know? So today, uh, if you're listening 
this Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to be on Instagram all day taking over someone else's account, which has been a lot of learning for me at Spivey's Book Club. Um, uh, there'll be a reading with Robin slash a Mighty Blaze fa- Facebook group um, event at 2 p.m., which you can, I'll, I'll post you can find after this it's yeah the podcast is going to overlap uh so that makes no sense but that i'm going to be on a mighty blaze being interviewed by robin call and then tonight uh at 6 p.m i'm doing an event uh for vromans our local bookstore being interviewed by susan wig we share an editor and um all those videos will be available after so if you oh, don't great. catch the live okay. event They'll be available after. Can't exactly say where. Never know where these things are going to pop up. <laughs> uh, I do also have another event on May 6th. That will be at my hometown library, at least at their virtual uh, Facebook page, uh, the Pequot Library. That will be May 6th. So if you miss these, you can catch the May 6th event. I'll be at the Pequot Library Facebook page. To get all of this information, leandolan.com or just follow my author page on Facebook. Okay. All right. And we have, we have links in the show notes and I'd links at satellitesisters.com. Okay. Once more with heart. Congratulations, Leanne. It's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Amazing accomplishment. Great day for you and a great book. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. All right. Let's talk about your fish, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Speaking of major accomplishments. (laughs) Okay, so uh, now the judges are going to weigh in on uh, the current season of Cooking with Liz. And uh, Cooking with Liz this season, we did roast salmon. It was a recipe that Leanne suggested that it's her go-to kick it up a notch uh, roast salmon with capers, dills, and horseradish. And uh, so in my three-episode arc, well, I'll leave it to the judges to, to comment, but, you know, Let's just say there was a lot of learning in in this uh, in this season, and my theme was to elevate my mm-hmm. you know my roast salmon. And well, you guys get to decide if I did or not. So anyway, so you can the judges can now weigh in, please. Um, okay, Liz. Uh, you know you, I think overall you did an okay job. So. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's what you wanted to hear, Leanne, but go ahead. Okay, job. Okay. All right. Here's the thing. Like, it, there are some things you you continue to do, and uh, you need, <laughs> and like the, the ill chop, like, you're not a good chopper, Liz. So, like, some no. of the stuff we've told you before, I'd like to see that be integrated now into your cooking process. Okay. okay. The chopping. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, um, you know, dressing the pre-dressing, the salad dressing. And, you know, I suggested writing stuff down last time and it was really poo-pooed. Like, I don't have time for that. I have to do a TV show. But but then then the dill sauce nearly went missing for the entire service. I know. Portion. I know. So, so that's the kind of refinement that really will take it to the next level. So yeah. uh, I think... You're so game in doing this, and I think you've added a lot to your cooking repertoire. But to actually like get better, you have to do the stuff we're suggesting. So <laughs> I, don't, okay. I don't like when so in some of it is just theory. Like 
the the fish the sauce for the fish on top you know the mare the 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 un, the shallots and the horseradish and the dill and the olive oil like that's supposed to soak into the fish like that's the mm-hmm. whole point so and that's why salmon works because it's a fatty fish and it absorbs the flavors that's mm-hmm. why you do it 16 hours in advance it absorbs in and then infuses the flavor throughout the whole fish but to do that you got to chop stuff up so i yeah. was concerned when i saw just plank size pieces of shallot being hacking. <laughs> once again there was i don't mean to jump in but i have to the yeah. hacking okay the travesty of your knife work list yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, okay okay and then all right the, the tiny tiny bowl you put it in i don't like a mixing bowl you need to mix it up you couldn't you filled that little tiny bowl and they're like i'm gonna mix it up but you couldn't so some of this stuff like that's where that's where okay. you have to go. Oh, okay. I've learned this now. I'm supposed to chop stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. All okay. right. I should do that next time. And some of it, some of this is an equipment issue, but a lot of it is just caring more. I think. Yes. Yes. It's <laughs> caring. Yeah. It's yes. the caring more. Yeah. So. Yep. Mm, like. Okay. So that's. I mean, I. I. So you're you're so close, but like, it's one extra. It's an extra 30 seconds here or there that really makes a big difference. And some of that is like understanding why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So I felt like you didn't understand why you were putting all that stuff on top of the salmon. Okay. Uh, And so, uh, you know, I I would ask you to be the fish. Just be the fish, you know? (laughs) Okay. All right. I can can learn from that. Thank you, Lee. And Julie, did you have other comments? Yes, of course I did, Liz. Yes. Um, For me, it was the ultimate TV season show. I mean, the... The ecstasy of see, of you pulling that salmon out, of being so excited, of having guest star uh, Corny Cole doing the happy dance uh, at your window was just delightful. Yes. But uh, but the tension just kept building. Like, where's the dill sauce? When <laughs> is she going to pull out the dill sauce? You went on and on about the buttermilk, but it's like. Isn't yeah. that triggering something in your <laughs> mind to remember the dill sauce? Nothing, nothing. Ultimately, then, it did, but you're right. That took a little too long. That just, and then the agony when you realized that you had forgotten one of the major elements of yeah. the dish. It was only, it was, it was, it was just, uh, I mean, worth rewatching if you haven't seen it, if you haven't taken the time to watch yeah. Cooking with Liz. This, this season is the one to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, I, I agree with Leanne. Uh, just in episode two, the eyeballing that was going on, that is your cooking technique. You're just eyeballing yeah. things, eyeballing uh-huh. it here, eyeballing it there. Liz, there is, there is a reason why recipes have measurements. And, <laughs> that, and you know, I mean, I, I am really happy, and I'm sure Leanne is too, that you are having fun in the kitchen, that you're more confident in the kitchen. Yeah. In your case, this confidence is lead, leading you down this eyeballing uh, <laughs> sort of cooking technique. Yes. <laughs> and that's wrong. Okay. Okay. You wrong. know, our cousin Beth noted to me that the first time she always goes exactly by the recipe. Yes. And then when she starts making it again, she's, you know, freelancing a little bit more, eyeballing. Yeah. Yeah. You okay. were so cavalier in that second episode. And that you took that chopped dill, which wasn't very well chopped, no. and just slapped it, slapped it on top of that little bowl. Like, 
herbs are delicate, Liz. They require protection and care. Okay, but... Uh, but the eyeballing, the one thing you could have done a little more eyeballing on was when you had the broiler on and you were broiling that fish, you were just like talking away <laughs> as if I was afraid you're going to burn up that fish. And but you're supposed to be eyeballing the broiler when you have it on, Liz. OK, mm-hmm. just that's just that talk- is a challenge of doing a live TV show. I, I, yeah. I understand that, Liz. And this is where this is where your TV production was more important than the actual cooking. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm not taking off for the broiler, but um, yeah, because it, yeah, it is, it is. High it was more just the tension. Like, yes, please Liz, turn around and look, yeah. <laughs> look in the oven. Eyeballing is important now. So okay. Okay. Um, uh, your hands, I mean, this is something the Barefoot Condessa always says, uh, your hands are an essential utensil. Okay, clean hands, you can use mm-hmm. them. Liz, there still is quite quite a bit of like hands on the food, hands on the camera, hands on the camera, hands on the food. You've, mm-hmm. got, to, you've got to realize, again, just a little more precision in your cooking in the kitchen is going to go so far, you know, con- okay. concentrating on that. I know you're trying to produce a TV show, okay? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, as a TV show, it was just an amazing episode, one that I will never forget, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have okay. one other little hospitality um, tip okay. that I think may take the pressure off the service. I would offer your window guest a drink as soon as they appear. So I think oh. that's off so that they can uh, that just like you would as someone in your house. So like some sparkling water or the wine, like make them that's that's just a hospitality tip. Okay. So then that's don't a good have idea. That. Yeah. So okay. that's for future okay. future episodes. Okay. What do you think, Liz? Okay, well, here's, uh, you know, there was a lot of learning. It's it's about the learning. So uh, but first I wanted to say a special thanks to Christina, who designed my new logo. That caricature of me, I'm really enjoying that, Christina. So thank you. Yes. So, um, and my favorite review came from Robin, because Robin said that the finale was, quote, almost as unpredictable as Homeland. So... <laughs> So in the, you know, in the world of like live entertainment, I think that's pretty good. So, uh, but I do, uh, in the learnings, I now have a dill sauce smear on the shade of my tasting window. And so not only, not only do I have to repair the shade, I might have to completely replace it now. I don't know how you do that um, during the current unpleasantness, but okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. Um, One thing I did not explain in the moment but just some other learning that was happening that the judges might not have been aware of. When I added the kiwi to the plate as the garnish, in order to do that, I actually watched a YouTube video about how to prepare a kiwi, like how to... How to do that with a spoon and the whole thing. So there was some side learning. You don't have to give me extra credit for that, but I, I just want to give myself a few points. I noted it. I noted okay. it. looked very nice. Yes. yes. And, okay. And again, a nice sweet, uh, it, that would offset the, the savory of the fish. It was a nice choice. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, I will. It's hard when people are giving me comments during the live show to follow them all. So Pat, I just want to, Pat did shout out the no dill sauce situation well before I realized it, but I can't read all the comments on the screen. So, but 
thank you for noticing, Pat. Um, I do have an unconventional serving challenge because it's a window. And so the few things that I would put out in advance, you can't really do that in the window situation. So people have suggested it might be better with a table out there. Marsha suggested I get a folding TV tray from Target. Uh, but then my guest is going to be below the window. Marie said a bar stool might be a good choice. Maybe Becky said a Sonic style window tray. Yeah. Jennifer described that as like an old car hop tray at a drive-in. I think those are all excellent suggestions. But but overall, I think you're I think you're right. I think in this season, especially in the finale, I was erring on the side of entertainment value yeah. and yes. lo losing some of the culinary points I could yeah. have been. Uh -huh. I could have been. And I'm reading what's on the screen instead of a like note to myself, don't forget the dill sauce in right. the fridge. So right. okay, so I I I accept all of your all of your points are very constructive. And you know, six seasons in, you do have a right to expect me to be taking on board yes. some of the, some of these things. So okay, all right. Um so but what does that mean for the future of cooking with Liz? Am I? It sounds like I might not be getting renewed. Uh, what do you What do you guys think? Oh, oh, we'll renew you, don't you think, oh, Julie? Yeah, yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're 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 sending you on oh, to you. the next round. Oh, few. Okay. Right. Oh, few. I was worried about that when you said I wasn't learning because I'm just yeah. I'm learning about the kiwi, but not learning about the chopping. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Dressing. So, and yeah. Leanne's going to tell you now your assignment for this coming week. Okay. Yeah, you'll be learning this week, Liz, because the people have spoken and we're listening. They want to see you bake. They they want to see one of us bake, and you're the one with the cooking show. So go for okay. it. Okay. Uh, we are assigning you uh, a recipe that's a family fave. It's one that I actually bake, and Julie, I know you make. I do, too. Yeah. We're assigning you mom's red, white, and blueberry muffins. So uh, um, uh, they do uh, factor in the Sweeney Sisters book. They're in there. There's a mention right. of them. So it's a book tie-in, but also we feel like you can handle this baking. And if you can master these, you don't need to bake anything else because okay. these are good and these can be your signature bake good item. Okay. So I get lifetime immunity if I yes. nail yes. the blueberry muffins. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. Good wow, luck. that's exciting. You know, yeah. I, I, okay, so that's a good challenge for me. Uh, and one last thing I want to say is I'm I'm not I'm not bitter, but the fact that like Amy Schumer is now launching her own cooking at home show called Amy Learns to Cook. I would just like to point out that Amy Schumer's husband is a James Beard award-winning cookbook author. And in the description of her new show on the Food Network, he's going to be taking the lead on the food prep. Well, she's just making the cocktails. Okay. So okay. I just, it's a different level of challenge. I mean, I have a sous chef, I have a sous chef and in the best of all possible worlds, my, my sous chef would have started barking to remind me <laughs> that I had not taken the dill sauce out of the right, fridge, right. but, but he didn't. So it's all on me, you know, it's all on me in the moment. And uh, that's not going to be Amy's situation. So I wish her luck, but Let's not confuse who's really taking on the challenge. It just wants to have you have your challenge in front of you, Liz, because it's okay. baking, not baking. Cooking. baking. And, yeah, and again, measurement, measuring. Yeah. Yes. Measuring timing. is everything. Yes. Okay. okay. There could be some equipment acquisitions then. Okay. Yeah. 
All right, sisters. So, you know, the, the Cooking with Liz runs Thursday noon, Saturday noon, and Sunday noon, all Pacific time in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. And then I finally figured out how to download the videos and also upload them to Instagram. So you'll start to see seasons turning around much more quickly now on Instagram. So, okay, I have my assignment. I'm doing it. Thank you. Thank you, judges. For a couple of um, entertaining sisters, um, recommendations. First of all, I want to thank the Satellite Sisterhood for recommending the TV series Schitt's Creek. I will say I was trying to, I, it's a very funny show. There's short episodes. It may be a mood lifter for you. Thank you very much for recommending it. I will say I was telling my daughter-in-law that maybe she would enjoy Schitt's Creek. And I said that in front of my 10-year-old grandson. And I thought he was going to die of laughter. <laughs> Say, and I, I oh. spelling. He did not get that. Okay, hearing Nana use a bad word. That's no, that was good. My second recommendation is Liz. I know you have just finished it as well. Um, Ozark, uh, all three seasons. What do you think, Liz? Yes. Well, it's super dark, and so every season I've watched all three seasons, and halfway through each season. I have to step away for a little while. I have to, like, I get halfway through and I'm like, whew, I need a break. And then I come back and I finish it and I'm glad I did. And that happened again in season three. So I, I wrapped up season three this weekend. That's quite a powerhouse last yes. couple of episodes, wouldn't you say, Joel? Absolutely. Yes, uh, that's all I can say. And like you, I have attempted to watch this show at, at a previous time. Couldn't really get into it. It seemed like during during the, the whole pandemic, I, I was I was in the mood to watch it. I, I have enjoyed it. So but it is very dark. Yep. It's just and just when you think they can't ratchet the tension up I anymore, they do it. Yeah. Like yeah. like the season finale, I thought, how are they gonna this is already so so tense. How are they gonna up the ante? And they managed. They yep. managed. So okay. so yeah, I've been watching Ozark and then I balanced that with the Sondheim ninetieth birthday. Um, uh, concert, so I want to get back to that. But because, but one Ozark note came up from a from a satellite sister listener because I mentioned uh, Ozark in uh, Cooking with Liz, and she said they were. Let's see, my son and I are extras in season three of Ozark. So Julie, impressive. Julie, so they impressive. are in. They are in the fireworks scene oh. with fairy boats. So no spoilers here, Nicole. We're not going to, uh, but that was quite a scene. So yeah. So she said we were paid for this for a few hours. And because my son is under 18, he gets paid two times as much as me. So they do they do a lot of filming around Savannah, she said. So, so they do this quite a bit. But anyway, so Nicole, I might watch that episode again and see, you know, what are you wearing? Should we be watching for you? Just, just give us the hint. Okay, and then the, did anyone else watch the Stephen Sondheim 90th birthday special? It's so great. So it's on YouTube, by the way. So we'll put a link in the show notes, but you can watch the whole thing. So it's like a two and a half hour long concert, and it was a fundraiser. So it's everyone from Lin-Manuel Miranda and Neil Patrick Harris to Bernadette Peters and Patti Lapone. Just really, really fantastic. You realize 
I know they said the word genius like a million times, but when you see so many Stephen Sondheim songs, <laughs> yes, about, yeah, talk about writing, yeah, this is yep. absolutely amazing. It's just yep. it's just unbelievable. But my favorite number, so watch out for this when you when you're watching. There is a um, there's a rendition of the ladies who lunch. So this came from Company by Sondheim, and the three ladies are Christine Baranski. Audra McDonald and Meryl Streep. And it is fantastic. And they're all just there. They're all drinking, but they're all just in bathrobes. Right. It's fun. Yeah. It's day drinking from three big stars. And I read an interview with Christine Baranski where she thought, she said, we discussed this could be career ending because this is (laughs) maybe not the right time for this in our, like in the moment during the current unpleasantness. But they did, and it is a real standout moment. I think especially for Satellite Sisters and Misters, you will enjoy that part. They all record their parts separately at home, of course. But um, anyway, highly, highly recommend Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday. And then, yeah, I'll skip over this last one because I feel like it's time for us to wrap up. It it is time for us to wrap up. And and I have to actually, like, rush off to my next appearance in the closet. Uh, Thanks for spending some time with us, Lee. Yes. (laughs) I'm very busy. I I hope I can make it. Hope I can make it to my next stop uh, in my living room. Um, uh, we would like to thank Sergio Enriquez for um, engineering our show and making us always sound great. We miss you, Sergio. We'll see you soon, we hope. Uh, oh, to-do list. Julie, got a to-do list? Yes. Well, I am monitoring the situation in North Korea. I just want people to know that Kim Jong-un, I don't know, dead or alive, I'm on it. I'm monitoring it. You know, that's all I can say. You have your own sources? I have all my own sources. Of course I do. Of course I do. Uh, okay Uh, okay, Liz what's on your to-do list well at the end of the day today of course I'm really looking forward to your appearance at Romans so I wasn't sure if I should sign up for one of the slots you have to sign up at Crowdcast and I didn't want to like you know because I've already bought the book so but anyway I'm going to be there Leanne I'm cheering you on I I will be on the Romans uh, Crowdcast um, uh, Q&A and really really looking forward to it Okay, Liz, great. I told Julie to sign up too, and Sheila, like, do it. Yeah, it's it's over 300 people now, so I guess they got a bigger room. So I'm really grateful. It's a really great response. Wow, Thank that'll you. be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I got to do that. And I um I had a moment of panic today when I couldn't find my special book tour dress that I was bought to wear to all my events. But of course, I'm going to wear tonight. And I thought, oh. <gasps> Is it trapped at the dry cleaners? Did I take it there? And fortunately, it was just shoved in the back of my closet. So I found it. I was cleaning up. So my to-do list is just to freshen that up a little and get ready. Get ready for everything else today. But big thanks. Thanks to everybody who's been so supportive of the book. All right. I got to go. You got, we got to go, guys. Okay. Uh, Okay. Well, happy pub day. Thank you. Thank you. And don't forget, call your satellite sister.